Welcome back to the Northeast Newscast. This week, Assistant Fire Chief Jimmy Walker from the Kansas City Fire Department is joining me to discuss how the department is handling COVID-19 and all the challenges it brings, including budget cuts, a focus on stress and other mental health issues, and the dedication of the men and women in the department. This episode was made possible by Shemekas Market in Delhi. Visit their new location at 16th and Swift in North Kansas City or order online at shemekasonline.com. Thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Good to have you here. So, you know, everything these days is COVID. And so let's start with that. How has COVID-19 impacted your department? You know, changed the way you do things. COVID has been uh, an eye-opening experience, really. It's something that uh, I never thought I would deal with in my career. And I think most people probably in the world didn't think about having to deal with a global pandemic. And you know, masks and hand sanitizers and taking your temperature. Uh, it really, it, the way the fire department has run and the, the things that we've been doing, it's, it's really impacted us greatly. Uh, from the very beginning, uh, in March when COVID started to really hit Kansas City, uh, and became uh, an issue here, uh, we decided to try to, to get out ahead of it and develop policy to try to predict uh, how things were going to move forward. We want to be prepared for each phase of the pandemic as things got worse and as, and as things have gotten better. And uh, we've constantly tweaked those policies because every time you turn around, something new happens, there's new information. And uh, so it's been very, very, uh, it's been very interesting. And if I've learned one thing out of this is that there is no normal and that normal is just a setting on a washing machine. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, you know, is this something that the department had a plan in place for a pandemic, you know, um, or was it all just like, oh, here it is. I guess we'll have to figure out something. Uh, uh, The latter. Yes, it was a we had to figure something out. Uh, We try to we try to make plans for everything. I mean, that's what we do. We're in the emergency preparedness position. Uh, That's what we do. And but. Uh, we weren't, we weren't prepared for this. I don't know if anybody was, and I'll be very honest about it, but we worked very long and very hard to try to, uh, catch up. And, uh, I think the key, I think the citizens of Kansas City, Missouri can be really proud that we, we led the region, uh, in our preparedness planning once things, things started to happen. Uh, we immediately, uh, recognized the need that we needed more PPE. We recognize the need that we had to have these plans and now we've got these plans and we're ready in case things get worse or things get better. And we like currently right now, at one point we were meeting every single day of the week and we had a, a COVID uh, a sit rep situation report meeting and we would meet every day with joint labor management. So members uh, leadership from local 42, which is the firefighters union, local 3808, which is the chief officer's union and fire administration. And we got together and we hashed out these plans and really worked with everybody's interest in mind from uh, the line firefighter all the way up to our politicians and just to try to make sure that we were prepared in order to meet this crisis. And we did that with uh, PPE as well. And right now uh, we're, we're sitting good. We're, we feel really confident that we have the resources in place to meet uh, if in, in the event that this gets worse. Sure. And so how has, you know, daily life changed for a firefighter? You know, you have both paramedics and firefighters in stations. Uh, you know, it sounds like a lot more work. Uh, you know, it, it is a lot more work and we've uh, just one thing and it was decontamination. So we're hoping that what comes out of this besides everything else is just 
the way we respond to the flu. You know, we are so much better at decontaminating now from COVID. Uh, just this morning, our medical director was, was telling us that uh, most professionals think that this year's flu isn't, season isn't going to be as bad as as previous flu seasons because people are wearing masks. Uh, they're keeping their hands cleaner. They're keeping their hands out of their face. Uh, we're practicing social distancing. So in the station, it's really hard because we live together for 24 hours a day. And it's hard to remember that when you're with your family, like you are at the firehouse, it's, we have to do a little bit more social distancing. And then when we go on calls, we've really tried to, from the time the call comes in, identify if those people have uh, COVID symptoms and then notifying our crews in the street as they respond, uh, ensuring that we limit interaction between how many of our members come in contact with someone who's sick. Initially, we'll send one person in in full PPE and try to identify, you know, is this person a COVID patient? And if they are, if we can get them outside to where they're less likely to infect our responders. We try to do all these things and still provide the same level of care that we have historically been known to provide. Yeah, of course. And like you said, this job has so much interaction with the public face-to-face for both firefighters and EMTs and, you know, even some of your office staff um, can become exposed to COVID. So how regularly are people getting tested? You know, is it a certain schedule or is it just if they think they've come in contact? We only test when someone says they have symptoms. So uh, every time that we have a rerun a COVID, a COVID positive patient and that the health department notifies us, we have members of our staff make contact, do contact tracing with each person who was on that call. And we identify if they were in proper PPE and 95 mask goggles, uh, their exposure, and we track the 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 length of time they were exposed. If they weren't a true exposure, then we don't test. Uh, if anybody comes down with symptoms, we immediately send them in for testing. Uh, if someone, uh, and this is where it gets into all of our policy stuff. So if someone is positive, we quarantine them. Uh, they're still paid. They're put on injury time. Uh, we quarantine them until they're symptom free. Once they're symptom free after 14 days, then we test them again and they can come back to work. So we're very conservative with our, with the way we don't want to, we don't want to infect because we understand that the, that the fire station is a place where we can easily infect multiple people. Uh, if you're exposed to someone who directly who was COVID positive, let's say for instance, firefighter Bob comes in and, and worked a 24 hour shift with firefighter Sue, Joe and Steve and firefighter Bob is positive or gets symptoms during that day and we send him testing we'll quarantine the people he was with. And then if he comes back positive, we'll keep those people quarantined for 14 days just to be safe. And they're, they're fully paid. So it's, it's not a punishment, but what we've done is we've really limited our exposure. At one point we were a hundred people in quarantine uh, at any given time to now, I think the number I told you was 38 today. So we've gotten our core, our numbers down. uh, And that goes to the diligence of our, of our, staff for just really being careful about how we interact with, uh, with patients, with the public in general. And it's been hard, you know, just going to the grocery store, people forget. And, uh, we just constantly send reminders out repeatedly just over and over. We, I feel like we're beating people over the head with the same information, but it's the same thing that's going on with the public right now is, is we we're doing good and we have to maintain this, this situation. We're in this habit. Yeah. And so, you know, what do you mean by quarantine? Do you send them home? Do you 
That's a great question. No, we, we want we don't want them in the fire station, so we take them out of the fire station. Uh, we quarantine them at, at home. Uh, if they if they can quarantine out away from their family, it's best. So a lot of times they'll quarantine in their basements or their third floors, wherever they've got room. Uh, sometimes they've been around their family and they'll, the whole family will quarantine together. And the problem with that is if if that person comes positive, then the family will have to quarantine 14 days, should quarantine 14 days longer than that. Uh, but if someone has a high-risk family member at home and they don't feel comfortable being with that family member, we have a hotel on contract that we can send these people to for 14 days to keep them away from everybody. I, I'm sure that's very reassuring for people who are, you know, always worried about taking things home to their families, but even more now, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's as if the job didn't have enough hazards uh, already. You know, we've in recent years, we pushed repeatedly to make sure people don't bring home their their city clothes after a fire. Uh, we try to get people to wash. Make sure you wash all your laundry at the station. If you've had a fire to clean yourself, take showers because cancer has really we've seen an increase in firefighter cancer. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the products people are, are building homes with, the furnishings. Uh, they just put off more carcinogens than they ever did before. Uh, so, you know, it's one of those things that we're just, this is one more thing that we have to watch out from taking home to our families. Uh, uh, I couldn't be prouder of, of the men and women of the Kansas City Fire Department for doing this uh, doing this job. And uh, most most people I encounter, they're doing it with a smile on their face still. Sure. And, you know, sometimes we look at firefighters and first responders as heroes, but they are just regular people. And some of them have, you know, health concerns and things like that, that normally they can get through the job. But are, is anybody concerned about that? Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, no, we're not heroes. We're, we're people. We chose a profession that's we find it most 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 of us would if you'd ask they say oh it's it's fun it's exciting uh, not only is it fun exciting you get to help people so it's just cool all the way around uh, but yeah I mean it's this time takes its toll you're worried about your family even more uh, we you know the people we've quarantined you know there's a certain amount of stress and mental health concerns that we have with people who are quarantined. Uh, it's lonely. Uh, and, you know, by nature, humans are social creatures. It's just hard to, hard to, to, to survive. So we have, we have things out there. We have, uh, things in place to be able to help people, uh, look for you to cares is our mental health provider. Uh, they have a, they have a staffed, uh, therapist on call 24 hours a day who can, Take any person's call who's having any kind of issue, whether it be substance abuse, economic issues, uh, COVID-related issues, loneliness, depression. They'll take that call and they'll get you into somebody right away to be able to be seen and they can talk you through it. So that's been very, very beneficial to our membership uh, because uh, I'm not sure if you know, but uh, PTSD, uh, besides combat troops, Coming back from actual war, uh, firefighters have the next highest level of PTSD of any group uh, in the nation. So uh, it's just uh, different times. You know, people people recognize it. When I came on the fire department, PTSD wasn't a wasn't uh, a phrase that anybody would ever utter. It wasn't. It, it was just you take it and you suck it up and do it. But I think people are are a lot more open to discussing their feelings now and. A lot of it is when you get back to the firehouse, just talking to the folks around you, that solves 90% of it. If you have a bad call, if you have issues, just talk to your 
talk to your brothers and sisters and get through those issues and and uh, work forward. Sure. Do you think, you know, from what you've seen, your perspective, that there's a stigma around asking for help? I think that it's gotten a lot better. Uh, I think that there was, I think that 25 years ago when I was, when I got hired on this job, if I'd have come in the firehouse and said, uh, that call was disturbing. I think most of the guys been like, Oh yeah, whatever. You're fine. You know? Uh, but, but they still at that, even back then they did, it was a bad call. You know, you kind of joke gallows humor. That was the way things were. People were less sensitive. Uh, I think now it's, I think now there, that stigma is definitely lessened. And part of that's due to education. We've really worked to educate uh, all of our members of this job that uh, admitting that something's bothering you or admitting that you have issues isn't a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. So we want people to know that, you know what, if you recognize the fact that you have a substance abuse problem, or if you recognize that, uh, that, something depressed you, a call bothered you. It's not weak to say that it bothered you. It's actually strong and we can work through this. Most, most PTSD treatments about acceptance and, and moving on and learning that, you know, as one of my old captains used to say, we don't light them, we just fight them. And that was his way of saying, don't take this stuff home with you, leave it at work. And not everybody's equipped the same. And that's what our behavioral therapy is all about is, is to just get everybody on that level not everybody's the same. So we just need to make sure that we have a, a wide array of tools to treat, uh, to treat all of our members and make sure that they go home, uh, physically healthy, mentally healthy. And, uh, we owe it to them because they've laid so much on the line for the citizens and not just that, but we take care of our own. And you said 25 years, congratulations. Oh yeah, I know. Uh, now it's three bad days in a row and I'm retiring. I've already, it's, uh, I've hit my, I've hit the mark. Yeah. Well, I think you've earned it. So how did you, you know, decide you wanted to become a firefighter? Oh yeah. Well, uh, I grew up with it. Uh, my, my father was a Kansas City firefighter. Uh, he worked his entire career, uh, in battalion 104, which is well, it's old Northeast. So, uh, I grew up in, the, in this neighborhood, uh, spent time at the fire at just in the firehouse. Uh, I remember, uh, as a little boy being in station 23 on, on the Avenue and, uh, watching Kendall core come in and talking to the firefighters. Cause that's what he always did. And, uh, it was, it, it was just something I always wanted to do. That's great. And, um, how did you get to where you are now? You know, you started as a firefighter in what 95 95 quick math. Yeah. I started in 95. Uh, I was, uh, I was assigned to the hazardous materials team, uh, for just a short period of time, opened up the station at, uh, Bennington and, and Truman road. Uh, and then I moved over to 31st in Indiana, uh, within about a, about a year on the job and stayed there until I got promoted to driver and then, uh, made my way back to that station as a driver, uh, enjoyed it, got promoted to captain. And then, uh, Made my way over to, uh, I worked a few different spots and made my way to Swope Park, uh, Main of Cleaver and Prospect and stayed there until I got to be a battalion chief. And, uh, I was lucky enough to land right back pretty quick back in my old, my old district, my old, uh, my old shift. So the guys I had left about a year and a half before, I went right back and, uh, as a captain, I got to be back and be their battalion chief. And it was, it was great until about, uh, about two years ago, 18, I got promoted to, deputy chief and became fire marshal. And, uh, I learned about city hall, uh, which was, 
much different than uh, than working the streets, uh, but it was an education, so I took it, and and uh, now I'm the assistant fire chief in charge of uh, emergency operations. Sure. That's great. Yeah, it seems like, you know, you have a wide variety of experience within the department. It's been fun. Uh, I I can't be th- can't be thankful enough for the opportunity I have to to serve on this great fire department and serve the citizens. Uh, it's it's been a blast. And uh, 25 years ago in the academy, they told me that it was going to go by in the blink of an eye, and it did. And so it really did. It's just crazy. Shemekas Market and Deli offering daily lunch specials, catering, and nationwide shipping at ShemekasOnline.com. Shemekas Market, 16th and Swift in North Kansas City. Shemekas, where customers become friends and friends become family. So, since you have a little bit of experience with City Hall, I will ask you this question. Um, it sounds like you know, with PPE and I'm assuming a lot of overtime, you know, costs aren't going down at all. Costs but your down. budget you know, they plan on cutting all the city budgets, but even police and fire too. Do you think that's going to have a detrimental effect? Well, I mean, uh, anytime we cut budgets, it definitely makes it harder to do our job. Uh, we're going to do everything we can to work around any kind of budget cuts. Uh, currently, they're, they're asking for a lot of cuts. And thankfully, uh, some of our initiatives that we've got going on, we've gotten grants for. So uh, SCBAs, we're going to get all new SCBAs. We've got grants for that. Uh, we've already worked on uh, replacing some of our ambulance fleet. We had that. Uh, I can't thank all the voters enough. We had the fire sales tax go through, which does give us some uh, a little bit of money to be able to replace some of our aging fleet and equipment. Uh, you know, it's not always about having the pretty shiny new fire trucks, which some people probably think this we want. Uh, it's just they become more expensive to maintain than they do to replace. And we have to find that breakover point. And when we find that breakover point, we need to, to pony up the funds and be able to get that new, those new equipment. Uh, and so uh, it's definitely made it uh, a little bit more challenging with budget cuts. Uh, COVID has definitely impacted our overtime. Uh, when we have to quarantine so many people, uh, just already we have a job that's inherently dangerous and we have people who are off on modified duty because they were injured uh, in, in the course of their duties. And then you throw in anywhere between, like I said, 38 today, upwards of 100 people in quarantine that definitely has an impact on our overtime costs. Uh, thank goodness we have the CARES Act funding that comes through. Uh, that's helped us supplement some of our PPE purchases, uh, you know, and, and those overtime costs. But it's still, it doesn't, it doesn't solve everything. And but we've made it through financial crises before and we'll make it through again. Uh, we've been here since 1868 doing this and uh, just we'll find a way and we'll serve the citizens if we have to have, uh, you know, soapbox cars we're pushing around. Uh, we'll, we'll get there. Sure. Um, so are you doing any sort of, um, you know, mandatory overtime? Are you having a shortage of employees? Uh, there have been times we've had to, we've had to mandatory overtime. Yes, uh, it's not what we want to do because our workforce has already uh, worked hard and exhausted. Uh, I know there's people who've worked quite a number of shifts in a row, uh, you know, or five out of seven days. Uh, we try to avoid doing any mandatory overtime at all costs because we understand how that works. Uh, but we have uh, more in this last year than I've seen in my entire career. Uh, had to compel people to work. But, uh, you know, it's part of this. Like I said, there's no normal. So what is the attitude or, you know, the general feeling of the firefighters that you've talked to? Are they 
scared? Are they just ready for this to be over? I think most of them are ready for it to be over. I, I, I try to make sure I hit the stations. I'm not a social media person, so I don't get on social media. Uh, the feedback I get from social media is there's always the loudest disgruntled people get on social media. Uh, so I know that they're there, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we make, we make station rounds. I go out and try to visit people. I know, uh, the shift deputies do, uh, the battalion chiefs. We try to get out and get, get a gauge for how people are feeling. So firefighters and paramedics answer a lot of 911 calls for people dealing with mental health episodes. Um, and often, you know, they're the first responders on the scene. So how are firefighters and paramedics trained to approach a situation like this? Well, I will say that uh, through our medical training, we we constantly do CEUs on different types of conditions, and mental health is one of them. Uh, to be honest, we've seen a tremendous uh, increase in calls over the last ten years. Uh, part of that's due to uh, you know we're used as people's primary care physicians, and also we've seen an uptick in how mental health is handled. And so we encounter a lot of these people who have mental health issues who are homeless on the streets. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's difficult for firefighters to handle, uh, because you know, they're not the questions you, the questions you want answers to, you don't always get those answers. Uh, sometimes these people can be violent. Uh, I know I just had a report of a female paramedic who was they're sexually harassed by a homeless person who we know has obvious mental health issues because they're identified. And that's a hard population to track when they have mental health issues and they're homeless. There's no address to affix to them to get them the help. So what we in Kansas City have done that a lot of other cities have done is we've created a community paramedic program. And right now it's got a supervising paramedic who's a division chief and two line paramedics and what their job is going to be is to follow up on these calls and try to get these quote unquote high utilizers first. We're going to target them. They're the low hanging fruit. Uh, they're the people who make up, you know, the top 10 high utilizers are making up, you know, 15% of our call volume. Uh, that's, it's crazy. And, but we're going to try to get those people, try to capture those, get them the help, help they need and move on to others. Another function of the community paramedics are the people who live in houses, who get released from the hospital, who don't follow all, all of their treatment that was prescribed by the doctor, who then become another 911 call and another trip to the hospital in an ambulance. Uh, those people just lack the uh, the education, sometimes they have mental health issues and we want to capture those people, get them in our system and get them the help before they become a burden on the 911 system. Uh, some places feel like they need to justify calls. Right now, the Kansas City Fire Department, we could cut our call volume uh, easily by 25% and we would still be busy by uh, by all of the standards. Uh, we're pushing 125,000 calls a year. Uh, so, uh, it's, uh, you know, our workforce is stretched pretty thin. We haven't increased our staffing uh, in years and years, but our call volume has just gone up. And that's, you know, I don't want to make the argument for the union, but that would be the union's argument is uh, we're doing more with less. And uh, part of the community paramedic program is to try to uh, divert some of those, uh, <clears throat> I don't want to say abusive because that comes out wrong, but those, uh, those people who don't have the resources and don't know who else to call. So it gives us another option, another, like I said before, to another tool in that toolkit to be able to help these people without having them be a burden on our 911 system. 
Sure. Kind of getting them out of that endless cycle of, oh, you know, I need help with this. I'll just call them. They'll show up every single time, you know. Exactly. Uh, the old slogan we've had in the fire department, when needed, we're there. Well, we still are. We always want to be there. It's just uh, we're trying to adapt with the times and provide some other services besides just 911, uh, 911 calls. Uh, it's kind of funny. The the ladder trucks that used to work downtown used to have a special tool to get women's high heel shoes out of the grates. It's like a giant crowbar with a spoon at the end. I remember seeing this uh, and it was there to help pop that out. <clears throat> we don't have it anymore. Uh, we, I guess we don't see a lot of women with high heel shoes getting their feet stuck in grates. I don't know. But what I'm what I say with that is it's it shows how. The fire department, while fire is our name, we have always been the emergency service that when you call for help, if if on the if on the other end of the line, unless you say someone's got a gun or someone's, you know, they send it to us. And we've always done more than fire and we always will. We'll always be your fire department, but we're just adapting to the needs of the community right now. And community paramedicine is one of those needs. I will tell you, I avoid walking over those grates. For that specific reason, and also because I'm afraid they're going to fall through someday. So maybe it's just like an instinct. Hey, be careful. We don't have that tool anymore, so I don't know what they're going to do. Probably just take your shoe off and then just pry it out. Who knows? Uh, my daughter won't walk on those grates either. I don't know why. It's just, and she doesn't wear high heels. Maybe but, it's having your dad as a firefighter. Uh, and that might have made her a worry ward. Who knows? I'm always like, predictable preventable. Don't do this. Be careful. Watch out. And then, Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, thanks so much for taking the time and joining me at the Northeast News. Feels good to be back in the old neighborhood, right? Oh, I love it. You know, I, uh, I still go down. I don't want to pimp a business for the, my neighborhood, uh, dry cleaner is still, I still go down to speedy clean. Uh, hi Joyce. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I still go there to get all my dry cleaning done and, uh, you know, neighborhoods changed, but, uh, the feeling's still here, right? So it's fun to come and eat. It's fun to eat on the Avenue. My favorite uh, tamales. I'm not going to say where. <laughs> keep, we'll keep that a secret. We'll keep that one a secret. That's for the next time because I don't want, you know, if I if I, if I I advocate for one over another one, I don't want anybody to get their feelings hurt. I was going to say, I may actually need to say this because I could get some tamales. I'll tell everybody where my office is and you can just send them my way. I'll test them all. That's great. Well, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, thank you. And that was Assistant Fire Chief Jimmy Walker from the Kansas City Fire Department. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Northeast Newscast. I'm Abby Hoover. This episode was made possible by Shemekas Market and Deli. Visit their new location at 16th and Swift in North Kansas City or order online at shemekasonline.com. 